Hello and welcome back. It's Chris Cowden with Fundraising Projects Podcast, a limited series podcast uh, to talk more with fundraising experts and fellow fundraisers to help you hit your financial milestones and also to get the advice you need to have a successful fundraising campaign or project. So today we have Mark Duncan on. He is a specialist and has been working in fundraising for the last 34 years as the fundraising coach. And today he talks a lot about his expertise in relationship fundraising and how you can make the right, teaching you the right way to ask for money and, you know, making it all about the people that you want to serve. So in this episode, you will learn his moves management framework, how to properly follow up, how to ask for money and how to not be paralyzed by fear when asking for money because you've not got to make it about money you've got to make it about the mission and these are really important lessons that I wish I'd known um, a month ago when I started my fundraising challenge so I hope you get a lot out of this Mark is a great guy and if you want to get in contact with Mark in the future then you can join our community but I'll tell you more about that after the episode well, thank you, Mark, for joining me this week on uh, Fundraising Projects podcast. And you'll also be featuring as um, an expert on the Talking With Experts podcast YouTube channel. So thank you for um, volunteering to to help me out today with the Fundraising Projects podcast and sharing your wisdom on fundraising and relationship fundraising. And um, firstly, I just wanted to say to everybody who is listening, uh, that I did complete my fundraising challenge uh, in September. It was to do hand cycle 300 miles for cancer research to support my granddad who has stage four cancer. And the, the whole purpose of this uh, podcast was to interview experts and to have uh, a fellow fundraiser talk about his own fundraising story. And to finish off this limited series we have mark duncan joining us today the fund coach and yes please tell me a little bit about yourself and let's go from there sure sure um well first thank you for having me on here i i uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh to talk about uh fundraising and uh, just a little bit about myself um i have been in the nonprofit space for about 34 years um, so I run the gamut. I uh, have worked in uh, what is called outdoor ministry. I've worked in higher education, uh, public media, um, healthcare, and uh, K through 12. So I have uh, I have fundraising experience in, in all those spaces. Um, and my area of expertise is in what I call relationship fundraising. Many people will refer to that as major gifts fundraising. Um, I use the term relationship fundraising because it is about relationships. And so we need to keep that uh, at the forefront. Um, I have experience running uh, multi-million dollar uh, capital campaigns as well as annual fund campaigns. And um, I just love, I love asking people for money. So now I teach people how to do it. <laughs> yeah and um on the previous episodes that we've done the the expert ben chambers he he said 
instead of asking people for money, ask them for advice and they'll give you money in return. So would you would you believe that to be true as I well? Think, yeah, I think that is a, a tactic, but I think every individual is different, right? Mm-hmm. So while that is um, good advice and I've heard that advice and I use that advice and advise my clients to use that advice, but it really depends on the person that you're talking to. Um, and this is, you know, in fundraising, when you look at the mass solicitation efforts, and what I mean by that, things like direct mail, crowdfunding on social media, e-solicitation, those things where we're soliciting the masses, you know, there's a lot of guesswork involved, but you really can't tailor that ask because you're sending it out to everyone. Mm. But when you are sitting in front of someone, you must take the time to get to know them um, and find out what it is that that makes them tick? What is it that they're interested in? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that is what's going to determine your engagement strategy with them. So yes, asking someone for advice, um, you know, we'll get you money that happens sometimes, but I've been in situations where, you know, I've sat down with, um, with folks who, you know, and I, you know, plan on meeting with them over a period of time, maybe have one meeting here, another meeting three weeks from now. And some of them would just look at me and say, what do you need? How much do you need, right? So one of the things I advise my clients to do is, um, you know, when you are starting that process of meeting with a, um, a new donor or new prospect, don't ask on the first visit, but be ready. So, so you should know roughly what you're going to ask that person for even before you begin to work with them, but take the time to get to know them until you get to that ask. But some of them may look at you and say, tell me what you need. And you got to be ready to respond because if you're caught off guard, um, you may miss the opportunity to, to, um, to, to get a significant gift. So is there, is there a particular way that we should ask? Is is there, would you say there's like a, a formula or a framework? So, so I believe in a process called moves management. And moves management is a, basically it's a series of steps. It's a process that helps you build a relationship uh, and which ultimately leads to an ask and a gift. And there are, I call them, they're like five moves within moves management. Some will say there are six. I combine the first two. So the first two are um, identification and um, identification and qualification. And so you can, to me, you can't have one without the other. So if you can identify and qualify, so it's one thing that's who, who the person is, and you're qualifying them by determining whether or not they have the capacity to make a significant gift. So some will hear this and say, well, you know, you're actually picking who you're going to be talking to. Absolutely, I am, right? You should be fundraising in a variety of different ways, including direct mail, e-solicitation, social media, but you shouldn't be treating those in and of themselves. You should be using those um, and, and, and uh, maximizing the opportunity to connect with people that you believe have high net worth or have capacity. And then that's part of your identification process. 
And then qualifying them is taking that step to do a little bit of research. And there are tools out there that are fantastic to um, provide you with additional information about that person to determine whether or not they have significant capacity. If they do, right, um, then you move to the next step. And that once is you've discovery. qualified them. Yes, once you've qualified them, you move to the next step. So first step is identification qualification combined. Next step would be what I call discovery. That's the first visit, the first meeting. Uh, sometimes it takes a lot to get to that first visit. So you picking up the phone, if you don't know the person, it may not get you the meeting. This is where other people can be helpful, particularly your board of directors, because if they can door open for you by making an introduction, whether it be via email or they pick up the phone and call and say, hey, would you know I'm involved with this organization, would love for you to talk to the executive director or the development director, uh, would you be willing to take a call, you know, getting that permission and then getting that discovery visit. And that discovery visit is when you um, really take the time to get to know that person and you're listening. You're doing more listening than talking during the discovery visit. Yeah, you're going to talk about your organization a little bit um, and you're going to talk about its mission, but you're also going to learn about what's important to that particular prospect or donor. <laughs> what is it that excites them about your um, organization? So, um, and so I have a criteria that happens within that discovery phase that's called link, interest, and ability. So what is the link or how strong is that link between that prospect and your organization? What are they interested in in your mission? And how interested are they? How strong is that interest? And ability, which is their capacity, right? So that, that's important. Um, and you're trying to learn all of that during that discovery uh, visit. Um, once that visit is over, then you, you want to get permission to be able to continue to talk. And so then you move into a phase that's called cultivation. Hmm. And that's not just one meeting. That could be one meeting, two meetings, four meetings. Many of that, much of that, sorry, uh, really is dependent upon how fast or how slow the prospect or donor it wants to move. So I use this analogy um, often. Um, many of us, you know, we drive around and when we want to get somewhere, we open up our phone and we open up the GPS system, whichever one it is you use, and we plug in the destination, right? And so um, in this case, we as fundraisers are the GPS and the donors or prospects are the drivers. So what do I mean by that? Sometimes when we're talking to donors and prospects, we have a plan, right? We know what the destination is. Destination is to get the gift. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the prospect or donor may take you in a different direction. So they may take a left turn or a right turn when they should be going straight. So what does a GPS do when you go off course? Recalibrates. It, it recalibrates, it redirects, and keeps the focus on the destination, never loses sight of it. So that's what we have to do as fundraisers is not lose sight of what we're ultimately, even though they may take the wrong turn, you got to go with them. You got to go with them and then you got to bring them back on course. And so um, sometimes that could take one or two visits. 
if you're a nonprofit that is a service provider um, and uh, the best way to convey what it is that you do is by bringing them to your organization so they can see your mission in action, then by all means do that. You want them to, um, you know, to, to sort of feel and experience uh, what it's like to provide the service and more importantly, to receive the service so that they can see the, the faces of the lives that are being impacted. Um, and so that that's going to take take some time to do. The other thing you're learning during the cultivation process is the language that the donor um, responds to. So what do I what do I mean by that? <laughs> so I I think there are two distinct um, languages that uh, donors respond to. Um, and it's really based on um, what's important to them. So if they respond from the sort of emotional I feel space, then they are going to want to see the, the faces of the lives of the, that you're that you're impacting and they they want to see the return on on that investment of your time to make that happen. But then there are the folks who are more cerebral. I call them the I think you know folks folks. So they may not be all about the touchy feely, but they're going to ask you questions about your organization's sustainability. Um, are you going to be around five years from now? Uh, what, did it, what is it that you're doing to ensure that you're going to be around five years from now? And so they're more about, yes, they understand the mission and the importance of the mission, but they want to make sure that you're going to be here to stay. And so you've got to pay attention too to what language that right. speaks so that you can communicate with them uh, so that they resonate with, with your mission, which ultimately will lead to a gift. So, oh yeah. So, so there's a few things there because that, that formula could also be used in a sales scenario as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no question. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure that one was taken from the other. I don't know if sales stole it from fundraising or probably fundraising sold it, uh, stole it from, from sales. Um, but yeah, that, 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 you know, identification, uh, qualification, moving to discovery, then cultivation. And then of course, solicitation, Yes, the thing that we all fear, the thing that just stresses us out, the actual ask itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that should be extremely specific and direct. Uh, and what I mean by that is when you are ready to ask, you should be asking for the exact amount that you want mm -hmm. from that from that donor or prospect, and um, and then once you make that ask, as soon as you make that ask, be quiet. As deafening as that <laughs> silence is, it is the best thing that you can do because sometimes we get very and I, I say this to my to folks that and I did this myself when I was in fundraising. You, you have to sort of rehearse what you want to say and be very, you know, not verbatim, but you want to convey to them that one, that, that what they're able to do is going to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And you're going to ask them specifically for whether it's 10,000, 15,000, 20,000. But once you make that ask, you're going to be quiet. And the reason why I emphasize this is that if it, when we're nervous, mm we tend to keep talking. 
And when we do that, um, we sort of dilute the ask, right? Yeah. And sometimes we can go off course. And, and, and so that's why I think it's important to, to you know, be direct, be specific, um, make the ask, be quiet. And then there are one of one, there be one of three responses. Yes, which is great. And we'll talk about, uh, you know, what that what that looks like is sometimes, you know, uh, we hear yes, and we don't know what to do. Yeah. So I'll talk about that in a second. The next would be no. And then the other is I need time to think about it. Right. So it's one of one of those three. Um, if you get a yes, the next thing you need to be asking, in fact, you should be asking this question after a yes, or I need time to think about it. Okay. And, and well, the first, first question is after, after they say yes, the first thing you say is thank you. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate this is going to make a huge difference. Then your next question is, how would you like to take care of this? Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why I emphasize this, I've worked with a lot of folks and I've run uh, some, some development shops in my time where I've had staff members come back bursting in the, into my office saying, they said yes, they said yes, they, they're going to they're gonna make a gift. And I said, that's great. Um, what are the details? And this look will come over their face because they forgot. They forgot to close the deal. So if there are any golfers out there listening, one of my favorite analogies related to this is my boss and mentor, my, 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 my favorite boss and, and still my mentor to this day, was a, is a very avid golfer and a very good golfer. And so, you know, everybody would, you know, come to him, you know, with all these golf stories. Oh, hey, you know, I got a new driver and, and I hit that thing straight down the fairway, added 15 yards to my drive. And my boss would just look at them and say, that's great. Did you make the putt? No. Right? <laughs> I hit it right? three times. <laughs> right, right. So, so yeah. So, did you, so, in other words, did you close the deal? So, it's one thing to come back to the office or be excited that you got a yes, but did you close the deal? And so, that's why it's important to ask that question. How do you want to take care of this? And then you start getting into conversations about, whether or not that's a check or credit card, or if they want to pledge it over time, mm-hmm. you know, then, then you begin to get down there. And then, then the next thing is now you got to follow up because they may not, they may be, they may say yes, but they may not have their checkbook right there. Yeah. Um, and so here's the most important question. If anybody who's listening to this can take anything away from this, it's asking this question. When would be a good time to follow up? Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many times I hear, and some of this happens with my own clients. Yeah, they said they would give me a call. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Now you've now you've handed not only the keys over to them, you've handed the GPS over to them too. Yes. So asking that question, when would be a good time to follow up, does a couple of things. One. It gives that donor, you're, you're honoring that donor's time, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he or she's given me all the time that I need. Um, you know what? 
uh, I, I probably would have an answer. I need to talk to my my spouse. I'll probably have an answer for you in about a week or so. Mm-hmm. And you say that that's that's great. Uh, and then you can even narrow it down. And so you know, let's just say today is Thursday, and you look at a, the calendar a week from Thursday and say, I'm just going to pick a random date. You know, how about the how about the fifth uh, at at two o'clock? Are you available at that time? And they may say, Yeah. I say, Sure. And you say, great. Um, would it be okay if I send you a, um, a calendar invitation just to reserve that time on your calendar? Would that be okay? Nine times out of 10, they're going to say yes. yes. Now, what you've done is now you've locked in a time it's on their calendar that you're going to call them. So now you've nailed that down. The second thing that does is it creates this arbitrary deadline that now the donor feels obligated to meet. Uh, and there's the, nothing fuzzy the, anymore and to follow through on the yes the original absolutely. yes absolutely absolutely so now um you know either when you meet with them um if it's a yes and they say we're going to do a check and then you ask them what would be a good time to follow up and then they tell you a week well you can actually go see them right go pick the check up don't wait for it to come in the mail if if, if you are relatively local to your donor do them the favor of saying, hey, if it, if it makes life easy for you, be happy to come come get it. Donors love that, right? Because yeah. now they don't have to write the check out, put it in an envelope, address the envelope, find a stamp, put it in the mail. You've cut all that out just by getting your car, going over and picking it up from them. And nine times out of 10, they're going to invite you in and have a cup of coffee. And now, um, you know, you're because the relationship continues after that. Um, if they say, um, I need time to think about it, mm-hmm. same thing. When would be a good time to follow up? And you do the same thing I just mentioned, and then you meet with them, and they should have a decision by the mm-hmm. time uh, you meet with them. And then you continue with that follow-up um, until you close the deal. Everything is about closing the deal. Um, if they say no, and I will say no rarely happens. If you do all of the steps, and if you've done the research to identify and and qualify, you've done a great job and they're continuing to meet with you, they know what's coming. Yeah. Right. So they may say not, they may say no to the amount you asked, but they may say, well, I can't do 15,000, but I can do 10. Yeah. You know, so, um, but if you get an outright no, something, something else is going on. Yeah. Um, maybe. Do you think as well some pe- some people who want to to raise a certain amount of money might come across a little bit needy? And again, you mentioned nervous. So here's what has to be top of mind when you are asking, because it isn't about us. Mm-hmm. It isn't about the person asking for the dollars. And quite frankly, it's not even that much about the donor per se. Mm-hmm. It's about the people you serve. And when you are asking for that gift, if that if those folks that those high need popul that high need population you're serving isn't top of mind when you're asking, then you are going to come across as needy and it, but it just it gives you the confidence to be able to say yeah because you're not asking for money, yeah. you're presenting people with the opportunity to support a mission. When you think of it that way. Then now you have the people who are being served by this mission 
top of mind. You're out there working for them. Yeah. It's not about you. Yes, it's, you know, you've got this donor in front of you that has capacity, but it's not about us. So we need to get out of our own heads. We have to stop, you know, being nervous and worried and all of that stuff because that isn't what the donor is going to hear. Mm. The donor is going to hear the ask and everything that you told them about how that money is going to help the people you serve. And that's got to be top of mind. Yeah, and, and on your website, it mentions about being paralyzed by fear to ask for yes. money. But if, yes. you, if you tie it back to how that, how that money is going to go towards the mission in saving lives or, you know, rehoming a family or helping people out of Afghanistan or whatever it might be. And you speak in their language and you say, this is how people were going to feel and thinking and listening to what conversations you're having with the donor, all of those tie together. So I, I, next time I do a fundraiser, I'm going to think about, how the the cancer the cancer patients are feeling and how the the money could help somebody get the research or instead of me doing a fundraising challenge and cycling it's not about me cycling as much as it is but maybe if i'd suffered from cancer possibly True. but so uh, do you have you even if you did you're still the conduit, right? You're mm -hmm. still that avenue between that donor and being able to help people. And so your story being so connected to mm -hmm. what you're trying to raise money for helps in a tremendous way mm -hmm. um, and really does make it difficult for the donor to say no. Yes. So, so in terms of how can we make this easier for somebody who listens to this podcast um for them to uh, like as a third party fundraiser like myself <clears throat> yeah i know you mentioned um e-solicitation and uh, crowdsourcing but are there any other alternative ways that we could get our message across uh, now that we know we're not going to put coming across needy because we're going to focus on the mission but sure. Yeah, third party. And so these are, I, I, you know, I call them advocates, right? So you, you uh, as uh, I understood it, um, I hear that, that you're an advocate, you're out there sort of leveraging the relationships that you have mm -hmm. to be able to support this mission. And so sometimes we take our own credibility for granted. And so what I mean by that is, and social media is a very powerful platform that allows us to leverage that. Um, and we'll take Facebook, for example. Uh, if you are uh, uh, acting as an ambassador or an advocate for a nonprofit, then um, by all means, use your own platform to encourage people to, to give. <clears throat> Excuse me. And not just by posting the actual link to the fundraiser <laughs> but create a video and look in the camera and tell the story about why you're doing this and why it's important for people to support it mm -hmm. and also you probably know those folks who are friends of yours on facebook who have significant capacity mm -hmm. so yeah they're going to see those posts 
but you might want to reach out to them directly, privately to have a conversation with them about, you know, how they can support in a, in a more significant way. Um, and you would just have to determine that based on what you know. Yeah. So I'm, as you can tell, I'm very much about relationships. Everything leads to that uh, as it relates to fundraising from my perspective, uh, even the crowdsourcing, even events. Uh, you know, a lot of nonprofits will do events to raise, to raise money. And they come away and they say, oh, after expenses, we made $15,000. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Who was in the room? And they're like, well, what do you mean? Well, who came to the event? Well, we had this person, that person. I said, yeah, and I'm looking at the list here and it looks like you have some high capacity folks here. Did you connect with them at the event? Oh, no. what do you mean? Did all you need to do? And I'm not saying you're gonna solicit somebody at, at a fundraising event, but you are going to go, if you know that they have capacity, you're going to go over there, you're going to thank them for coming. And then you're going to say, hey, we'd love to get together with you and grab a cup of coffee. Would it be okay if I give you a call to, to schedule that? Oh, absolutely, by all means. Now you've got 20, 25 people that you can follow up on. You may have netted $15,000 from that event, but those 25 people that you're going to follow up with, you could probably double or triple that in the conversations that ensue afterwards from those mm -hmm. folks. Especially, so, especially because then you can talk about the success of the event and how well yes. we did. And you've already kind of qualified that they are high, uh, high level people. So, Yeah, you already have link and interest and ability right there in front of you. And so sometimes we just, we, we, the event's over and we just celebrate and we're excited and we, we look forward to next year and we're not taking advantage of who's in the room. And so when you have a captive audience and it's centered around your mission, then all you're doing is planting. I call it seed planting, right? You're just walking the room, saying hello, asking for permission to follow up. You're not asking for money. Mm -hmm. You're just asking to get a meeting with them so that you can begin that process. So this falls right into the uh, identification qualification, right? Because you're trying to get a discovery visit. Mm -hmm. You're trying to move into a relationship building strategy with them and so using events um to do that is is uh you know is huge huge and uh i was at a networking event only a little while ago and i can remember although it was more like a post-lockdown booster for everybody to get together and be positive and uh, learn how to re-motivate ourselves um it was in a small room but i can remember one person came up to me and said um here's my business card. And it was just like, oh, this is hard. He wasn't there to form relationships with people. He was there to, um, you know, ask for my business or, you know, he'd done it the wrong way. And you just mentioned there, uh, yeah. don't ask for money on the first, on the first visit, always follow up with them. And be responsible for the next move. So if you're handing somebody your business card, you've now given the responsibility to them mm. to reach out to you. You know, that's just a pure networking thing. I have, that's a whole nother, a whole nother conversation. But yeah, if you're at an event like that, um, you know, handing someone your business card really isn't networking. Talking to them, um, finding out what's interesting to them, mm -hmm. um, uh, aside from what it is that you're trying to do from a business perspective, um, that's how you build a network. So. Yeah. So, so for again for a third party fundraiser, uh, 
except for reaching out to them on Facebook and in social media, are there, I know there probably are forums, or I know you mentioned before there's tools. What kind of tools uh, do you use to to find more information on on people and also reach out to them? Yeah, so now these tools do cost, right? Um, But there are wealth uh, screening tools out there that allow you to, um, based on the information that you have on a prospect, which would be name, address, um, really that's the minimum that you need. Um, You can do a little, you can do a screening through, there are a few companies out there that do this. Um, The one that I uh, absolutely love um, and, and many of my clients use is windfall data. Uh, uh, they, they, what they do is they take your database and they screen it and they're able to tell you who in your database has a capacity, not capacity, a net worth of a million dollars or more. Okay. Mm. Now this is a U.S. based company. I'm not sure that they'll, uh, you know, if, if they're, um, they probably is. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's helpful. That cuts out a lot of the guesswork. Mm -hmm. So if you know, uh, I, so one of my clients, uh, purchased this or many of mine have, but this, I love telling this story. Uh, one of my clients purchased this service and they were getting ready to do a golf outing. (laughs) Golf again. Yeah. Golf. And, um, and it was a fundraising golf outing, fundraiser golf outing. I said, and so piggybacking on what I said earlier about knowing who's in the room. I said, well, do you know who the players are? Well, no, you know, so they decided to screen those players first, like 180 players they screened. 50 of them came back with a net worth of a million or more. I think that's right. Yeah. And so now they knew before the event who was in the room. And so not only did they get to thank people for coming, but they got to plant seeds and say, hey, well, I'd love to be able to connect with you over coffee. Would that be? And so now they, they have this whole portfolio. Um, when they screened their entire database, which was about 15,000 records, about 4,100 of those came back with a net worth of a million or more. People they had no idea, right? Because a lot of folks who... Um, and I don't want to generalize here, but there are folks who are wealthy that you just don't know are wealthy. Mm. Um, you may pass them on the street. You may interact with them on a regular basis, but they you just can't tell by the, their quote unquote look mm-hmm. that they're wealthy. And so that's where that information is helpful. There are other sources out there um, uh, that, that do this as well, but that's what I mean by tools is, mm-hmm. you know, trying to cut out some of the guesswork. The other thing you can do uh, is the anecdotal information that you have. So if you're uh, an organization that has a board of directors, um, hopefully your board of directors know people that have capacity. Mm. Um, And so asking your board members to, hey, can you think of five people in your network who we should be talking to? Um, And then you're not, they're not going to just hand over those names to you. Um, you're going to sit down and you're going to have a strategy conversation with your board member about those five names. One, to learn about those five people. And two, to strategize on how you're going to be introduced to them so that it's a, a what I call a warm handoff. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
and then uh, you, you know you begin to build those relationships and move through the moves management process um, that way. So you know there's that sort of scientific approach, which is using data and, and doing research, and then there's the anecdotal approach, using your own um, board members, um, you know, to to help you. And um, I, I would be remiss if I did not uh, talk about the role that board members play in this process and the type of board members that you need to ensure that you're going to be successful in fundraising. Okay. Um, and so I have, you know, sort of a criteria of, I call them the four C's um, when you are recruiting board members. Most people talk about the three W's or the three T's, the three W's, wealth, wisdom, and worker, three T's, time, talent, and treasure. And all of those things I think apply, but my three C's are, first of all, they need to care about your, your mission deeply. Mm -hmm. um, they themselves need to have capacity to give. They need to be connected with people with capacity. And then they need to be comfortable introducing you to those people who have capacity, right? Because a, the board of directors really has three main um, responsibilities. They need to be um, ambassadors uh, of your mission. Uh, they need to have fiduciary responsibility over the organization to make sure that the organization is doing all the right things with the money mm -hmm. that it's getting. And finally, they should be helping to secure resources, which includes fundraising. Those are the three primary roles. Uh, when board members start to get into um, sort of the day-to-day -day management of an organization, um, then, you know, it's time to you know, sort of sit back and, and take a look at how your board as a whole relates to the staff and perhaps do some, some rethinking and revamping so that you're best maximizing everyone's time and effort. Yeah, and I think that whatever they're doing and has to align with their own values, For but that's part of the caring and, uh, yeah. So, yeah. For a for somebody that still is unsure how to take the next step in fundraising, because um, I I didn't raise as much as I hoped to, uh, but I still uh, am happy about the the funds that I did create, and I give myself grace for just even starting a challenge and actually following through and doing it. For, for somebody who's new to fundraising, um, and I guess for anybody else who's new, we all make mistakes. And mm -hmm. what are the common mistakes that you see and um, that would not help us? Because it's, it's good to make mistakes. Uh, but what do you see and what could we avoid? I think the biggest mistake that fundraisers uh, who start out can make is um, not following up. I know that sounds simple, but if 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 you are not if if there's one thing you need to focus on is your is is being organized and following up when you say you're going to follow up. Mm -hmm. um, because once you don't follow up when you say you're going to follow up, you lose all credibility, and so does your organization as a, as a result of, of that. And so. Um, People get excited. Oh, I'm going to give you a call. We're going to talk. I'll reach out to you next week. 
and then it doesn't happen. Yeah. And that person who, and, and, and so again, back to when would be a good time to follow up? This is another good you know, example. Even uh, if you meet somebody and you ask, hey, when would be a good time to follow up with you? And then you follow up when you say you're going to follow up. Mm. Um, that, that to me is probably the single uh, largest mistake that fundraisers make. And e- that's either in relationships with folks or not following their plan. So if you have a fundraising plan uh, within a given fiscal year, and you said you're going to drop this mail piece on this day, mm-hmm. you're going to post on social media on this day, you're, and then that just something happens and you're not able to do that or it doesn't happen, then you know it just impacts your ability to you know, to raise the dollars that you need to raise. So that follow through and that organization is, is key. Um, someone said to me, and I, I, I truly believe this, and I've embraced this to this day, that people who get into fundraising, you know, really only need sort of two core, we'll call them competencies or core qualities. One, they need to be extremely passionate, passionate about the mission. Mm-hmm. And two, they need to um, be comfortable talking to people. That, that's a, some, there are some people that are just generally shy folks. Um, and, um, and that's okay. You could still play a role in, in the fundraising space. But when it comes to uh, being well-rounded, you have to be comfortable out there talking about your mission, whether it's in front of a group or one-to-one. Um, and be ready, you know, at all times. You may run into somebody in the grocery store and, um, you know, you may have an opportunity to, to talk about what it is that you do or your mission and, and you just need to be ready to do that. Everything else can be taught, either, either by me or by, you know, reading or listening to podcasts like this, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but if you have that passion and you're comfortable connecting with folks, then you're you're well on your way, uh, and you follow up and yeah, but and you invest in making a relationship with somebody then, and you and you ask the right way, and the the framework that you um, outlined and went into full detail today will, will really help me and many other people in a sales situation or fundraising situation in past in the future. So. Yeah, thank yeah. you for that. Absolutely. Is there anything that you you've missed or you've forgotten to say that you would like to share? So there, yeah, people are probably listening, going, "What's the fifth? What's the fifth move?" Um, because if you notice, I only covered four. Uh, the fifth move is called stewardship, and so that is the period of time where you are showing appreciation. Right, you've gotten the gift. Gift is already in the door. It's doing its thing. And now you're also, you're going to send a formal thank you letter, but you're also going to stay connected to that donor. You're going to invite them back and you're going to say, hey, these are, look at what your dollars have done. Or you're going to email them and send them a photo of something that happened, whatever you can do to maintain that connection. Yes. Because the last thing you want is to make the ask, get the money and go away. You don't want to go away. You want to stay connected to them because guess what? In about a year, you're going to ask them again. And yes. you don't want to be coming out of the woodwork doing that. You want to always be um, connected to them. So when the time comes to ask again, it'll be so much easier yes. to do. 
So yeah. really, really important step. Yeah, because I guess if you, if for instance, with the Talking With Experts podcast, if I never followed up with my experts again, they probably would never want to help again. So but that's why I'm kind of building that community on Facebook and using starting to use email so but it's important to develop nurture those relationships because you might want to ask them for future experts on the podcast and building that relationship so uh yeah that that's Absolutely. one of the reasons why I started the podcast to meet new people network <laughs> and build relationships improve my communication so yeah thanks for giving your tips today and sharing the last step I didn't even ask you so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have a tendency to do that but you thank you for your time today um how can people get in touch with you after this conversation sure um the best uh, place to um to to reach me or to to know more about what i'm doing is is my website which is um thefundcoach.com and uh you can you know get to my socials from there as well uh but if you're interested in having a conversation with me, um, you could book a, a free strategy session with me. And so you can do that right on my website, right at the top. And um, it will uh, pop up and you can schedule right there on site. And I'll be happy to have a, a, a conversation with you about any challenges you might be having and uh, ask you a few questions. And um, if I can help you in any way, we'll, we'll talk about what that looks like. Great. And to finish... What is one lesson you want people to leave with today? Relationships are everything. And it doesn't matter. I often talk to my my kids about this. Um, You never know who you're going to um, need support from. So along the way, regardless of whether you're working or not, you're in a grocery store, you're, you know, uh, on vacation, um, be kind to everybody that you meet, uh, because you never know whether or not you're going to, um, you know, need to, to talk to that person about supporting your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, quick story about, about, it's not really a story, it's, it, it's, uh, it's a lesson. Um, there was one time I was on my way to a meeting and I was running late and the person in front of me, um, was going very slow and I was getting very irritated. And so, you know, I beeped the horn, you know, come on, I'm trying to get to my meeting. Turns out that's the person I was meeting with. Oh no. (laughs) So that, that lesson I learned that day, which was many years ago that you never know who you are going to run into or interact with along the way. So just be kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yep. uh, and I know that's not necessarily a fundraising lesson. It's a life lesson, yep. but if you want to, you know, you know, fundraising is about people. Um, it's never, ever about the dollars. It's always about the, what the dollars do to the people that you serve. Amazing lesson, and uh, yeah, I I wouldn't make that mistake. But <laughs> I'm too kind. <laughs> no, thank you again, Mark. And uh, I'm sure I'll be uh, contacting you to to 
find more fundraising experts for this podcast next time I decide to fundraise. So thank you for your time. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode with myself, Chris Cowden, and Mark Duncan, the Fund Coach. If you enjoyed this episode and want to build a stronger relationship with myself or Mark, then you can join us in our private community with other experts from the Talking With Experts podcast and the Fundraising Projects podcast. So you can go to talkingwithexpertspod.com forward slash community to learn more about the community values, what you can expect to learn within that community, and just so you can get involved in the conversation around sales, business development, marketing, fundraising, and there's lots there's lots of masterclasses happening. So um, yeah, I look forward to connecting with you and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are a fundraiser and you would like to talk about your fundraising story, or you're an expert and you want to give fundraisers the opportunity to build their knowledge and build upon their skills, then please get in contact with me at um, Chris Cowden on Facebook or visit fundraising-projects.com.